Hey, this is Alex Moore, lead pastor of New Life Community Church in Kansas City, Missouri. Thanks for taking time to listen to this message. For more information or to donate, visit newlifekc.com. I grew up in church. I was what they call a PK. Anybody know what a PK is? The preacher's kid, that's right, that's that pastor's kid, which meant I came to church whether I wanted to or didn't want to, and uh, I had to listen to my dad more than most people because not only did I hear him all throughout the week, but then he would have the weekly sermon, right, in which it was just his voice. And so when you grow up in church, you don't know any different, uh, but you, you start paying attention and you start to find certain phrases and illustrations that your dad uses more often than other ones, right? And so I can remember being a kid sitting in church right where you guys are. Um, My dad started this church back in 89. And so as a young kid, I don't know why or the whole scenario, I just remember that he had this phrase and the story he kept talking about, about people who had egg on their face. And you're like, what? And that's how I felt as a seven-year-old. What are we talking about? Egg on your face. And so he would have this like illustration about how if someone that you knew had egg on their face, and I don't know the significance of that exactly, uh, but apparently like maybe they were eating like some, not scrambled eggs, but like some fried eggs, and like a little bit of the yolk like dripped down their face, and it was stuck on their face, right? That, that the loving and the kind thing for you to do if you saw someone with egg on their face would be to say, hey, you got egg on your face, before that person just went through their whole day interacting with people, being judged by people, and having egg on their face only to arrive home late that night and see that they've had egg on their face since breakfast. And so it was a good analogy, right, that as Christians, we should be willing to go through a hard conversation to maybe do something uncomfortable that is actually loving to another person. And so it was, it was great, you know. And so I'm seven. I'm a pastor's kid, but I'm trying to be a good pastor's kid. I'm not being that pastor's kid. You know that pastor's kid that's the rebellious one, that's crazy, that did all the things you weren't supposed to do? That wasn't me. That was my sister. So I had, I had the example of what not to do. So I wanted to apply this. And I can remember it was like a second semester of second grade, uh, and, and I was needing some clothes. So mom took me to the old Metro North Mall. Any Kansas City people remember Metro North Mall? Balloons, the whole deal. We were at J.C. Penney. J.C. Penney is a staple. I needed some jeans. I remember I came out of the fitting room, and uh, my mom had kind of slid over and was looking at something else, and I saw a man in J.C. Penney, and he had egg on his face. And I felt this burden because I've been in church, and I needed to apply this message. And so I didn't know at seven how you talk to an adult and you explain to them that they have something on their face. And it wasn't necessarily egg. It, he had some dirt on his, on his head. And so I was like, man, I don't know if he knows that there's dirt on his head. And so I feel like I should tell him that there's some dirt on his head. And so I wasn't sure how to do that. But then I remembered, hey, my mom, the pastor's wife, is with me. She will surely show the example of what's going on. So I informed my mom that there's somebody who's got, quote, egg on their face. There's some dirt over there on that guy's head. And, and, and we probably should tell him it's the loving thing to do. And do you know what my mom did? absolutely nothing. She did not apply the message from my father. And I began to be worried about my mom at that time. No. Here's the truth. My mom had grown up in a a Catholic tradition, 
And what she was aware of was something that I wasn't, because I wasn't raised uh, in a, a liturgical calendar following. Uh, it was Ash Wednesday, and this was someone who had gone to the church and had been applied an ash cross on their forehead, and I just thought he had a little dirt on his head, and I want to help the brother out, and my mom said, we ain't going to do that. And so I was confused at seven. I was like, why is he doing this? Like, I've been a Christian, grown up in church, I'm a pastor's kid, what is this ash cross about like I don't understand and and my mom said you know it's Ash Wednesday and I said well what does that mean and you know what my mom told me I don't remember it was 30 years ago (laughs) I have no idea what she said but I know this now that as I I study and I've looked at the liturgical calendar and as as a church we don't necessarily follow it um, but I do appreciate the liturgical calendar because it's always trying to point people back to Jesus So back in December, we did a study called Comfort and Joy, which was an Advent series. Um, If you guys remember, Advent means arrival. And Advent is the period of time that begins in the month of December before Christmas. So it's the preparation, it's the lead up for Christmas. It's to prepare our hearts to recognize the arrival, the advent of Jesus, but also to look forward prophetically to the second advent, like that Jesus is coming back, which I hope you know he is coming back and it's gonna be good and we, we want him to return. And so advent is the season of preparation for Christmas. And, and what I've learned um, as you follow the liturgical calendar, you have advent and then after that is what's called epiphany. You guys heard of that? And that's the celebration that the gospel of Jesus wasn't just for the Jews, but it was for the Gentiles. It was for all of us. And then after epiphany would come Lent. And Lent starts on Ash Wednesday, which is exactly 40 days before Easter, if you don't count Sundays. Okay, kind of weird. It's like... (laughs) 40 minus the Sundays. So Ash Wednesday kicks off the season of Lent, and just as Advent prepares us for Christmas, Lent is designed to prepare us to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus, to celebrate Easter Sunday. And so when you think maybe in your experience, like, yeah, I've heard about people doing Lent, normally people associate it with fasting, right? They give something up. They make themselves miserable for 40 days in order to prepare for the resurrection of Christ, right? Now, some of you are like, yeah, but I don't really think they were that miserable. They were giving up stuff that wasn't that big a deal, which kind of misses the point. But when it comes to Lent, uh, originally it was known as the Easter fast. The word Lent is actually an old English word that got applied that means spring, But the Catholic Church, what they would do on Ash Wednesday to kick off Lent, and and this was traditionally how they did this, on Palm Sunday, that's the Sunday before Easter, they would distribute palm branches, the Catholic Church would, that were, were blessed. And people would receive those, and then they would return them to the church. And then the church would take those blessed palm branches, and they would burn them. And they would collect the ashes and they would save them until Ash Wednesday of the next year. And so when you returned for the start of Lent next year, they would take those ashes from those palm branches and they would apply them in the form of a cross on your head. And you say, well, what's the significance? Like, why would they do this? This seems really unusual. Is this just religious motions? People just doing this because? Well, here's why they did this. And and, and this might be new information for some of you. It was for me. I didn't grow up with this, but I'm always curious because like we had uh, the, the, the chief's, Super Bowl party, right, like on, on Ash Wednesday. And if you saw Harrison Butker, the kicker for the Chiefs, he had an ash cross on his forehead. Well, what is the significance of that? Well, the ash cross on the head, it's, it's not egg on their face. It is something that they intentionally put there. It's to remind us of a truth that's found in Genesis 3.19 that says, you are dust 
and to dust you shall return. Um, if you've been to a funeral graveside service before, and uh, they're preparing maybe to put the body into the ground, uh, the minister might say something like, we therefore commit this body to the ground. And then they would say these lines like, earth to earth, ashes to ashes, dust to dust. When we look back at Genesis, we find that when God created Adam, the, the first human, that he formed him from the dust of the earth. And when a person leaves this earth, they leave their physical body here, their soul is no longer there at that funeral service, but their body remains and it returns to the earth, earth to earth, ashes to ashes, dust to dust. So now when we get to Ash Wednesday, this application of ashes is to remind us that we're all going to die, that this life here on earth, it's not eternal, that we are like, it's a reminder of our mortality, kind of dark. Can we cue that video again that had that real dark me? <laughs> Ooh, no. But, but it's to remind us that this life, we're not intended to live here on earth in this fallen state forever. And then you say, well, I understand now the, the concept. All right, there's ashes. It's to remind us of our mortality. But why are, they, why are they drawing? Why are they making it into the shape of a cross, right? Well, the ash cross reminds us not only that we're mortal and that we're going to die, but the shape of the cross reminds us that Jesus died too, See, he died not only for us, but he died with us. He was 100% God, but he was also 100% man. And so the ash cross is a reminder that if we will follow Jesus all the way to death, in death Jesus will receive me. And on that last day, he will raise me to life immortal. Praise God, how cool is that? So it's a little bit more significant. Sometimes we see things, and sometimes I even talk to people who have the ash cross. I'm like, hey, what's that about? And they can't even tell me because it's just something that they do. But there is a significance, a meaning, and a purpose. And when we come back to what it's all about, it's all about Jesus and looking to him. And so what I want to do over the next uh, several weeks is, is I want to step into this Lent season. It started back in mid-February. It's already going on. But I want us to approach Easter with a time of preparation. How can we prepare ourselves to fully celebrate the resurrection of Jesus? And, and here's what we're going to be doing in these next few weeks is that we're going to try to focus on what our heart and what our mind was thinking when we first came to Jesus. When we first approached him, what, where were we? What was that process? Because I believe that there's something that we need to remember about our initial drawing to Christ. And I think sometimes we move past it and we forget what God's done in our life. But here's the truth. The more aware we are of our need for God, the more we're going to push in to know him. But the, when we begin to forget that we're sinful, when we get forget that we don't deserve him, then we begin to take him for granted. We begin to have a sense of entitlement. And the last thing that I ever want is to expect something from God that he hasn't told me that I should. So the ash crossed. It's a symbol that we're not going to live forever. This life is, is, is temporal. And the problem, I think, sometimes about thinking about our mortality is that we don't like it. It's dark. It's depressing. It's sad. Um, I can remember when I was in high school, uh, there was a, a girl who was a grade below me. Her name was Ashley. She was in a terrible car accident, and she, she lost her life. And I can remember 
The sadness and the grief that hit our school, it was a small school, people had grown up with this girl since kindergarten, they'd known her, and now all of a sudden, she's, she's gone, and they announced that there was going to be a funeral, there's going to be a visitation and a funeral. I can remember talking to, to friends of hers, and, and I had known her, but I wasn't super close to her, and, and my friends, they weren't prepared to deal with death. And I think that's right. Like when we're young, we think we're going to be immortal. They ain't nothing ever going to take me out. But all of a sudden, boom, death entered into their world and they couldn't avoid it and they didn't know what to do with it. And so my friends were like, I don't want to go to the funeral. I think she's just be too sad. And I was like, but like you were like really close friends with her. And so all of a sudden I have like people getting in my car, I'm picking up from their house to take them to the visitation, to take them to the funeral so that they can properly go through a period of grief so that they can properly face death. And the problem is that when we face death, it's that we begin to think when we go to a funeral that that's going to happen to me one day. I'm sad that they're gone, but I know that death is coming for me and I don't know what to do about that. And that scares me. And when we begin to think about death, we begin to think about the afterlife. What happens once my soul is removed from this body? What happens after I die? And so there's a lot of people who have actually turned to Christ. They've surrendered their life to Jesus when they allowed death to stare at them because they wanted to know that I'm going to heaven when this is all said and done. That while this life on earth may be hell, I don't want hell eternally, I want Jesus. And in case you didn't know, heaven is a real place. Most of us don't have any problem with that. We have a problem with the other side. That hell is a real place. And because heaven and hell are real, man, it's really important what we do in this life. It's really important the decisions we make. And it's important that we go ahead and face death. And sometimes facing death will change us. But let's be honest. We don't want to think about it. We think about it when we have to. And when we don't have to, we avoid thinking about it. And we do the very same thing, stay with me here, with sin. We treat sin and death the same way. When all of a sudden I have to go to a funeral, I'm faced with death and I begin to think about these things, but the more time that separates me from that funeral, the more time that separates me from that, the less I think about the perspective that death gave me. And in the same way, when I am dealing with sin, oh no, I sinned, oh no, this is the worst thing in the world and I am allowing sin to influence me, change me, like it's causing me to see myself as a sinner, it's allowing me to see my need for a savior. I don't like to think about that. In fact, I embraced Jesus, I came to Christ so that my sins would be forgiven, that they would be erased, that he would cast them as far as the east is from the rest because those sins actually bring me shame and I feel guilty about them and so I want them to be obliterated. And so a lot of us approach Christ because I've done horrible things, God promised me forgiveness and new life and I want that. But here's the problem and this is where we're going in this series is that when we come to Christ, your sins, the consequence of them is gone. Like God is no longer holding them against you. The problem is, is that you want to forget that you are a sinner. You want to completely remove yourself from that. And I'm not saying that you have to maintain an identity that I'm just a sinner saved by grace. No, God says that you are a saint. Your identity has changed, but never forget that the reason you came to Jesus is because of your sin. Because as soon as you begin to think, you know, now I don't sin, that's not me, I'm this new person, and, uh, and I just want to act like none of that ever happened, my past, God, I just erased my past, act like it never happened, we will not approach God properly. Because the reason we approach him is because we need him. 
This is so big. Your sin is why you need him. If you don't ever embrace the fact that you're a sinner, you're never going to embrace Jesus for who he is. Because he is our, what's the word? Savior. What is he saving us from? Sin. If you act like you don't have sin, what can he save you from? Nothing. So he can't be your savior if you don't acknowledge your sin. So if you have God in your life, I don't know what he's doing. He's not saving you of your sin. Maybe you think that he's just like those little angels that pop up in those cartoons, you know? He's the, he's the little angel one. He's like, hey, do the right thing. Love people, you know? Hey, I'm love. And you got the little Satan one, right? If he's not our savior, who is he? See, our sin is, is the reason that we come to him. And, and, and the wild thing is this. We talked about this a little bit at this youth conference, and it was so good. See, in our world today, we want to think about God as love, right? Everybody's like, yes, God is love. What's the, how's the Taylor Swift heart go? Oh, there you go. He's love. Some of you are shaking your heads like, don't, don't bring her into this. <laughs> I'll leave Travis out. Okay. God is love. Think for a minute with me. If God was to walk into this room and he was to walk up here, would your first thought be, oh, wow, love. Every time in the Bible that God revealed himself to anybody, you know what they did? They didn't think, oh, grace. Oh, daddy. No, they didn't think any of those things. When people saw God for who he was, they were immediately on their face. God is love. Don't get it wrong. God is graceful. But when you see God, he is holy. I love that song that we sang today. He's holy forever. When we read Revelation, when we find out what's going on in heaven right now, you know what we find out? That there's these, these angels, these, these angelic beings that are giving praise and worship to God every day. And you know what they're not singing? God is love. God, they're not saying God is love. They're not saying he is gracious, he is merciful. No. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. 24-7, angels saying, God, you're holy. And if we ever get a solid look at who God is and his holiness, you know what we do? We immediately see our sin. Because holy means other than, that ain't me. What he is is different. It's, it's, it's only him. It's divine. I don't belong with him. And when we get that perspective, we're ready to approach him. And the wild thing is, is that when you actually see that, you begin to feel like, you know what? I don't think God should <laughs> allow me in. I don't deserve, I don't deserve it. How could he be, how could he want me? He's so holy and I'm so messed up. But the beautiful thing is that God loves us in his holiness and in our sinfulness, and he loves us too much to leave us there. And so if we will respond to this holy God who loves us, he can forever change us and grant us eternal life with him. But what's the key? If you don't acknowledge your sin, you never will come to him. Oh, he's holy, but yeah, I'm pretty good too. I'm right. I'm good. I pay my taxes. I don't cut people off in traffic. I don't say bad words unless I get really mad. <laughs> what? I, we're missing it. Oh, take a look at me in your Bible at a story that's found in Luke chapter 18. 
Luke chapter 18, this is a parable that Jesus told. So this is a, a story that he told. It's not necessarily a real life account. He's not recording something that took place, but he's trying to teach something. And Jesus is the best teacher. In fact, those who followed him called him teacher, and they wanted to learn from him. He was spitting truth, like he was giving them what was real. They were having insight and revelation about things that were eternal, about who God is, and about what God wanted from them. And so he tells them this story. And so we're going to start in verse number nine, Luke 18, verse nine. We'll put it on the screen in the New Living Translation here, the NLT. It says that then Jesus told this story to some who had confidence in their own righteousness and scorned everyone else. This is somebody who's not in touch with their sinfulness. They think, I'm pretty good, and other people, no, they're bad. It's a dichotomy. There's the good, there's the bad. So he has a story for those who had great confidence in themselves. Two men went to the temple to pray. That's good. We should pray. Go to the temple. Go to the house of the Lord. Two people went to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee, and the other was a despised tax collector. Okay? If you don't know what a Pharisee is, a Pharisee was someone who was very serious about obeying God. They were a good person. They did good. They wanted to follow the law. They wanted to please God. They were trying to follow everything that the law of Moses, which is what they had as a revelation of God to do, they wanted to do it all. And so they would actually memorize large portions of the Bible. So like some of them had like huge things memorized. Some of you are like pretty good at memorizing song lyrics. They memorized chapters of the Bible. They memorized books of the Bible. They were intensely devoted and committed to doing what was right. So you have this Pharisee, and on the other side, you have this tax collector. Nobody really cares about tax collectors. The way tax collectors worked in that day is a little different. Um, it wasn't like an IRS system that was appointed. Um, Rome kind of controlled the world at that time, and they wanted taxes. And so what they would do is they would find somebody who was from the nationality of the people that they were controlling who would say, yeah, I'll go and tax everybody, and I'll give you money. How much money do you want, Rome? Okay, you want that much? And so they would go and collect money from people. And the way they made their living is they brought in more money from you than Rome needed. And so they became very wealthy. They cheated people out of money in order to make themselves better off. So we've got this Pharisee, devout, trying to do good. And we have this tax collector. This is what Jesus is setting up the scenario. And so the Pharisee is in the temple. He's there to pray. Notice what his body position is. He stood by himself, and he prayed this prayer. He's praying this prayer out loud. People are hearing this thing, all right? So here's what he said. He said, I thank you, God, that I am not like other people, cheaters, sinners, adulterers, and, and I'm certainly not like that tax collector. I fast twice dose per week. And I give you a tenth of my income. Represent. <laughs> Verse 13, but, but the tax collector, the guy who cheats people out of their money, the people who turn their back on his people and works for the, the people that nobody should work for, the tax collector, he, what did he do? What's his body position? He stood at a distance and dared not even lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed. Pharisees, head up, looking around, looking at the tax collector. Tax collector is over by himself. Head down, won't even look up to heaven as he prays. 
Instead, the tax collector beat his chest in sorrow. Oh God, oh God, be merciful to me, for I am a sinner. Can you picture it? Jesus wraps his story up and he says, I tell you, I tell you that the sinner, not the Pharisee, returned home justified before God. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. What's the takeaway? Some of you are like, I think that we shouldn't pray out loud. That's not the takeaway. <laughs> okay. Both the Pharisee and the tax collector prayed out loud, right? So public audible prayer, that's not the problem. The issue is that only one person knew how to approach God. Only one person postured their heart correctly toward God. See, God's not impressed with your morality, your ability to follow the rules. It's not like, oh, yeah, I, li- I love you more because you followed. That's not him. God's not impressed with that. He's not impressed with your goodness, in fact, he says that your goodness on its best day is like filthy rags. It's not impressing him. He's not awarding brownie points because you worked really hard. Like, the Pharisee was going above and beyond what was asked. He was fasting twice a week. You know how many times they needed the fast according to law? Once per year on the Day of Atonement. No, he's going, to, like, this is above and beyond. He's tithing on all of his income. He ain't cheating nobody. He is going above and beyond. He's doing all of the right things, it seems, but his heart is in the wrong place. The Pharisee, he was pious, man, like he's living an honest and upright life. He did more than the law required, but, but his behavior, he thought behaving was the way he could find acceptance with God, and that's not how it worked. See, the difference between the Pharisee and the tax collector was their awareness of their personal sin. The tax collector understood, God, I'm a sinner. The Pharisee, he didn't even think he's sinning. Man, I'm doing good. Look at me. Look at me. Oh, come on. Hey, I'm going to pray even louder so you look at me and know how good I am. And, and, and the result of these actions, we can't miss this. Jesus says one was justified and one was not. One was accepted by God and one was rejected by God. The Pharisee who was doing all of these things right was rejected by God. It was the tax collector who recognized he was a sinner who left right with God. We have to learn to come back and recognize our need for him is because we are a sinner. And without recognizing our sin, we'll never look for a savior. And so this month, as we approach Easter, which is where Jesus conquered the grave and provides salvation for all of us, if we don't get back in touch with our sinfulness, we're not gonna approach him right. We're gonna approach him like the Pharisee. We're gonna approach him entitled. We're gonna approach him as though he's here to work for me. We're not gonna approach him the way that he wants to be approached. And so this season of Lent is a time for us to pause and to reflect on our own journey of conversion and acceptance of Christ. And don't miss this. Far too many people prefer to forget their sin than to mourn their sin. And as believers, we're called to humbly acknowledge and grieve over our transgressions, seeking God's forgiveness and grace to transform our heart and draw closer to him. When I was in college, I tried to find where this was. I read somewhere, and it convicted me. God used this to help me. 
it, it was this idea that when we come to God, that we want him just to wipe our past clean. So we just kind of confess, God, forgive me for all the bad things I did. I don't want to do those anymore. I'm going to follow you. But in this study I was in, it said, but listen, when you sinned, you did every act of sin one by one. Why don't you repent of your sins one by one? Well, I can tell you why, because that seems like a lot of work and a non-fun journey. I would rather just, God, just take all that and let's forget it. Nobody remembers it. Let's move on. But wait a second. If I committed every sin one by one, what if I repented of every sin one by one? And this became a challenge that I took on in college. I sat down, got myself a little journal, got myself a little book, and I sat down with a pen, and I decided that I was going to write every sin that I've ever committed that I could think of in that book. I didn't think it was going to take as long as it did. I was sitting there a while. So I write down, I, I, I deceived this person, I misled this person. I lusted here, I looked at pornography here, I snuck here, I did the, I just documented it all. You talk about humbling, it's humbling. And as I was going, God was bringing back to my memory things I'd forgotten. That was even worse. But God wanted my heart fully. He wanted nothing between us. I write down more things. And after I got done writing down every sin that I committed, I then wrote down every sin that was a sin of omission. Things I should have done and I didn't do. Oh, that list got real long. That person that came to me that needed help that I just neglected because I thought they were a little clingy and needy and I despised them. All of the times that I had an opportunity to give or to contribute or to invest in something and I didn't. Like I began to go through all the sins of omission and that list got real long too. And when I got done, I had these sins all documented here. It was definitely proof, evidence, I am a sinner. I've already asked God to forgive me. I believe that he's already indwelled me with his Holy Spirit. I believe that I'm serving him. But now I'm going through this next process of saying, God, I want to be fully yours. And I want to approach you. I don't want to take you for granted. I don't want to act like my past didn't happen. In fact, I don't ever want to hurt you the way that this is. And so I would read through this list. And every sin was a sin, not just maybe against the person. It was a sin against God. And it broke God's heart. And I went one by one. And I asked God, will you forgive me for this sin? And then I would end my prayer this way. I never want to sin against you that way again. That's repentance. Not like, forgive me, and if, you know, I might do it again. No, no, no. I, 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 never want to, I never want to hurt you that way again. That process took time. But that process of returning to my sin and actually mourning it the way that God did when I committed those sins drew my heart closer to him and allowed me to humbly be able to walk forward into the path that he had for me. And so for you, are you trying to just disregard your past? Are you just wanting God to kind of magically, you know, erase everything that happened? I want you to know that God wants to use that which was evil, that which was wrong. He's going to bring purpose to it for you today. But you have to come back to it. And you have to be willing to mourn and recognize that you don't have it all together. And the crazy thing is, I don't think that we ever get past the point in our lives in which we never have to repent. I've been following Jesus since I was a little kid. I still screw up. I still got to repent. Now I just try to keep that 
sin journal up to date. <laughs> when I sin, I don't just let time pass. No, I repent now. And you know something you can do? This would be like a youth ministry move. After you get done, you repent of all those sins, that sin journal, and go take it and burn that thing. Let's not keep any document of it. I've mourned it. I'm not going to forget it. But there's no documentation of it. When it comes to God and heaven, he's not going to say, hey, look at what you did. No, he's going to erase it from your record. James chapter 4, verse 8 through 10. James was Jesus' brother. Talk about a tough life. James, why can't you be more like your brother? James didn't really follow Jesus until after he died and came back to life. And then he was like, okay, I guess he is different. <laughs> so James, he became a leader in the church. He began to help people. And like James like, says a cool book. Uh, it's a letter that he wrote to the, the Christians who were kind of dispersed at that time. They were going through some persecution. But James is just a straight shooter. He don't pull no punches. He ain't about soft language. He's just like, hey, this is how it is. So here's what he says. He says, draw near to God. And here's what God's going to do. He's going to draw near to you. You go mourn your sin and come to him repentant, he's going to draw near to you. It's awesome. So cleanse your hands, you sinners. <laughs> Ooh, <laughs> James, that's, that's a little direct. <laughs> yeah. And go ahead and purify your hearts, you double-minded. How about this verse? This one, this is hard. Be miserable. You go do a sin journal, you know what you're going to be? Miserable. You're going to realize I'm way worse than I ever thought I was. And James here, this is the Bible. Hey, be miserable and mourn and go ahead and get the box of Kleenexes and weep. But let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy to gloom. Wait a second, isn't that, shouldn't that be the other way? Let my mourning turn into laughter? I want to become, no, no, no. Stop, stop taking this lightly. Stop taking it like a joke. We're gonna, we're gonna approach the reality of some situations here, of some things in our lives. And the verse here is humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord, and the beautiful thing, he will exalt you. So my challenge for you is to go back to the beginning when you came to Christ. Did you come to him just because he was a good add-on in your life, or did you come to him because you needed him? If you came to him for any other reason than you needed him, I don't know if you really have met Jesus. And when you really meet him, he wants to transform you He's not going to be impressed with how well you keep the rules. He's going to change your heart. He's going to develop you. But we need to mourn our sin and remember why we need him. And friends, we never outgrow our need for God. I need him as much today as I did then. In fact, I probably need him more. If you guys would, let's bow our heads. Take a moment to pray. God, I thank you for this time that we have together. This is not an easy message. It's not a fun one. There's no lightheartedness, nobody joking, nobody thinking, man, that was a great message. I want to go listen to that on a podcast. God, I get it. We don't want to think about these things. We want to avoid death in our life, and we want to avoid the thought of sin because of how it makes us feel. But God, what we want to mature in is how did our sin make you feel? And God, this is about you and not about us. And Lord, if there's a way for us to have transformation in our life through the power of your Holy Spirit by us returning to our sin and mourning over it, grieving over it, and repenting of it, God, then help us to have the courage to face our past, to face the sins that you have already forgiven us for, but Lord, that we would intentionally 
return to our need for you. I pray that you'd help us as we prepare to transition into regroups, and we're going to try to talk about this. And Lord, I pray that there just be honesty. Nobody would be trying to be like a Pharisee and impress anybody else. I pray, Lord, that there just be genuine conversation. And with places where people felt challenged today, may they be able to share that. And Lord, I just ask that your Holy Spirit would help each and every one of us just take the next step that you have for us. May we do the next right thing. We love you. We thank you for your patience. And we thank you for the joy that you do bring to us. But Lord, as we prepare to celebrate the resurrection of Christ later this month, God, help return us to our first love for you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message. For more information, please visit newlifekc.com.